0: we are live! Hello, hello and welcome to another episode of Strong Tea. I'm Vicky and I'm Katie. I haven't given you enough time for the uh, fading music have I?
1: No but I was listening to an old episode the other day and I said the music will have cut out by now and it hadn't so it was just sort
0: oh. of fading. In I, I, like, I yeah. can hear it, I can hear it. it's fading now, it's fading. Brilliant. And if you haven't <laughs> joined us before, we are a podcast all about sharing the stories of inspiring individuals, um, all done in order for us to learn more about topics that we should be talking more about, topics that some people consider controversial or taboo, or just subjects that we all need to be more informed about. Um, and today is no exception. And we've got a truly wonderful guest for you today, um, which Katie will give a proper introduction for shortly. But as we are all about the tea as well, we first have to find out what everyone's drinking. So, Sarah, our wonderful guest, what are you drinking today, my lovely?
2: I am drinking good old-fashioned PG Tips.
0: Ooh, <laughs> controversial. We've oh, controversial! I started wow. I'm so wow. sorry.
1: Yeah. Oh, Ooh. I mean, it's not the worst... It has got biodegradable
2: bags, if that
1: okay. helps. Yeah, we'll, okay, we'll yeah, ethical. we'll give you give you, give you a we'll give you a point back for that one. But <laughs> I mean it's not like it's typhoon or something like
0: that's true. Um, it was on so-
1: We shouldn't make you feel bad the first the first minute you come on here, but at least (laughs) at least you're drinking a cup of tea, so it's good.
0: (laughs) We're all about inclusion, apart from non Yorkshire tea drinkers.
2: Yeah, I love Yorkshire tea. I very often buy Yorkshire tea. I've got to say, but on this occasion, I've
1: got you're
0: You're back in (laughs) the family, Sarah. That's fine. How do you
1: and how do you take a lot rides on this next question? How do you take your tea?
2: I'm very particular. Okay, very particular with my tea. Um, I'm bagging first. Uh-huh. That's always a little <laughs> bit of a topic, isn't it, with tea? Um, I'm bagging first, and I like a strong cup of tea, which is fitting, isn't it, good, for today? Good, yeah. But I do like a
1: reasonable amount of milk. Okay. I don't now, like when, it you, in... when you say reasonable, is that just a sort of average amount, or is that, like, milky? I like it milky. <gasps>
2: and I'll tell you why I like it milky. There is math, method to my madness. Go on, go on. I just want to drink it. I don't want to sit and wait for it to cool down. Okay, the logic. Yeah, I get it. So I make it so it's hot enough, but not so hot it's going to burn your mouth. So you can literally just get your cup of tea, make it and drink it.
0: Okay. You know what? That's I've not heard that method, but it's that is sound. That is a sound method. method.
1: Yeah. 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 Like the Sarah, Sarah Wallace method of tea drinking. There we go. <laughs> Love it. There you go. What are you drinking, Katie? Well, I have gone for um, a tea of the Wild Women Tea Club and it's called Pick Me Up Cowboy and it's for de-stress and balance. And I love I love these teas. And I'll tell you why, because, you know, sometimes you get a tea bag and it's just like for digestion and that's it. Mm. it doesn't give you much. This has got what it tastes like. So it tastes like warm spice, and it's naturally sweet. Best for hormonal support, mindfulness, anti-inflammatory, and focus. And it's got apple, pumpkin, orange peel, carrot, turmeric, cinnamon, cacao kernels, marigolds, and cloves. And it tastes amazing. Wow. I've never
0: heard of that one. Yes. Pick
1: pick Me Up Cowboy from Wild Women Tea Club. So, yeah, big, big apple
0: we're big fans of wild women tea as sure well, because i oh. like <laughs> drinking wild women tea too. Um, if you haven't heard of wild women tea, we are doing an episode with Joni, the um, founder of wild women tea, uh, pretty soon. But what they do is tea specifically for hormones, um, particularly things like the perimenopause, menopause. Uh, menstruation they're really good at kind of matching teas with hormone cycles so they're fantastic and I am drinking lazy days which is let me see it's perfect for the busy socialite or someone who needs to reboost her body and mind Um, but it's designed to bring mindset calmness and help to wind you down and it's got nettle rooibush chamomile mint leaves ginger fennel licorice and leaves of sage and peppermint and it tastes Mm. soothing
1: Nice. Nice. What what I will say is I drank one of their teas last night for bed because they're renowned for having some sleepy teas and they've got one called Fly Me to the Moon. And I'd heard lots of good things about it. And I thought, do you want to try it before bed? I Girls, I can't tell you. I felt like I'd had a sleeping tablet. It was the best night's sleep I've had in about six months. And I know I was knackered, but my God, did I get a decent night's sleep from it. So yeah, highly recommended.
0: Brilliant. I'll write that down. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm like
1: waving the flag for Wild Women Tea. I'm like, yes, get me some of that. I'm going to buy it in bulk <laughs> next time. Just a big sack of mix. <laughs> Just never mind these like piddly little sachets where you can only get like five or six cups out. I'm like, come
2: on. You guys poo-pooed my PG tips. so much.
1: <laughs> <laughs> No, you yeah, are entitled so. to your opinion and the fact that you said you normally drink Yorkshire um, has sort of raked you back into the family. So, Thank so you. Yeah, Why yeah. Did you say that?
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> but uh, speaking of being welcome to the family, um, I get the wonderful job of introducing you and I can't tell you um, and I can't tell all our listeners just how chuffed we are to have you on the show today because um sarah wallace used to live in hereford now lives all the way down in exeter sunny dexter exeter where she tells me her palm trees which i'm a little bit jealous of in up in here in shropshire where it's currently raining um but sarah is a fantastic mum to ollie and alfie and she's going to talk a little bit more about her boys today and about her experiences so i'm not going to waffle on and take on any more of your time sarah so please when you're ready take it away and tell us your story
2: well, like I said, my name's Sarah. I am uh, 44, nearly 45. It's a little bit uh, depressing. But anyway, um, and I've got two boys, Ollie and Alfie. Um, Ollie's actually 19 on Sunday, um, which I can't believe Like he's at that age now. Um, and Alfie's 15 at the end of April. Um, Ollie has Down syndrome and Alfie has severe autism or ASD, as it's also known as. Um, I had Ollie when I was 25, and I had Alfie when I was 29. Um, And, yeah, we have day-to-day challenges, and there's lots of amazing and brilliant things that go on in life, and there's lots of difficult and hard and, uh, yeah, very challenging things that happen on a daily basis.
1: So tell us in terms of going right back to the beginning taking you right back to pregnancy and we'll start off with Ollie first because he's the older one um and we don't want we don't want him being put to the back because he's because he's the older one we're the younger one first (laughs) sibling hierarchy um so tell us about your pregnancy with Ollie and you know did you have any sense from any medical professionals of what situation was before Ollie was born and what happened when he was born?
2: So my pregnancy with Ollie was actually really, really good. I had a really good, very normal pregnancy. Nothing particularly, you know, out of the ordinary. You know, I had, you know, aches and pains that you would normally get with a normal pregnancy, That nothing really stood out. Um, well, after I'd had Ollie, there really should have been some things that um, possibly should have stood out, but they didn't. Um, but I didn't, you know, when you're asked whether you want to have like the testing done and things like that, and I I didn't want it done. Okay. So I didn't have it done. And my reasoning was that even if it came out that um my child had Down syndrome, or potentially, because that's all they can really go on, it's ne- not never 100%, is it? So they potentially have Down syndrome. At that point, I was like, well, I'm not going to, ball anyway it, it's not what I was would be prepared to do yeah so really then what would be the point in having a test done you know it seemed a bit of a pointless act so I didn't have it done and actually I'm really glad I didn't because mm. had it have come back that Ollie had you know whatever percentage would have you know the test would have come back at I'd have spent the rest of my pregnancy worrying you mm. know and I've heard many, many a story, having, you know, speaking to people, actually my husband included with his son, they had the testing done and it came back that their child had a potentially high risk of having Down syndrome. And it turned out he didn't. He didn't have Down syndrome at all. And that's quite, you know, this, I'd heard this sort mm. of thing time and time again. So actually I'm quite glad that I didn't have that test. And I, I've never regretted that. Um, The thing that probably should have been picked up on that wasn't was that, you know, when you have your scans done and you have, um, they look at the baby's heart, don't they? And they check to make sure that all the chambers are there. Mm. Um, Well, they didn't pick up anything was wrong in that scan. And then after Ollie was born, one of the really common... um, things that happen with people with down syndrome is they can very often have heart issues and ollie did have a heart issue and it was actually quite a severe heart issue he had something called a complete avsd and that really meant that he didn't have chambers in his heart so when they were looking through the scan when he was inside me they should have really seen um that that wasn't as it should be Um, and he didn't have any valves His valves were like little stumps. They weren't, you know, the valves kind of worked and they backwards and forwards, pushing the blood around. They kind of clapped together. And um, yeah, they they just weren't there. So that wasn't picked up on at all during um, any of my scans with Ollie. And I actually didn't really think about that until I had Alfie and I was pregnant with him and I went for a scan and I could clearly see Alfie's valves moving on the stand and it was at that moment I kind of went oh hang on a minute why didn't they realize that with Ollie why didn't they
1: you know but so yeah was the 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 issues that he had with his heart when he was Mm -hmm. first born was that sort of at the forefront you know was there was there panic concerning that or was it something like you know what we can correct it this is quite straightforward it happens and you know it was it was a kind of not run-of-the-mill thing, but something which they were used to dealing with? I think
2: it is something that the medical field are used to dealing with. Um, There's various heart defects that can happen um, with a person with Down syndrome. Some people with Down syndrome, may may I say, don't have any heart issues at all. Um, But it is one of those things that, you know, they do look for when a mm-hmm. child is born with Down syndrome because it is a common, more common factor.
1: Um,
2: and I so I think for the medical field, it was, you know, looking at all the things that could be possibly an issue, looking at those things and then realising, yes, there is an issue here. Mm-hmm. So I think for them, it was probably just another work day. But right. for us as his parents, it, it wasn't like that. It was a real concern because with children with Down syndrome, they tend to be a smaller baby. They they have low muscle tone when they're born, so they're very much like a rag doll. Um, yeah. And it's very hard when you've got a child as well who's got some kind of heart defect. They need to be healthy enough to have the surgery.
1: Yeah.
2: So we had to wait about three months and get as much food and nutrients into Ollie as we possibly could to build his weight up a bit and get him stronger. Um, and it is a major surgery, you know, it's a full open heart surgery procedure that he had. Um, and you know, I mean the recovery for him was amazing. I don't don't think adults would recover that quickly. Babies are just phenomenal with things like that. Um, but there was complications in the fact that they um they nicked a little bit inside him and it meant that fluid built up around his lungs. I believe it's called a chirothorax and it fluid built up around the lungs. So we had to go in for a second procedure and have a drainage tube fitted. You know, and bearing in mind he's only three months old, you know, and he's being prodded and poked and you know, his hands and his feet were black and blue from all the tests and all the blood tests and, and everything else, you know. Um it, you know it was not a nice time you know it was a really it was a horrible time um it was really stressful but like I said he recovered really really quickly it wasn't completely successful the surgery um but it's managed with uh, medication and um there for years and years there was potential that he would have to have further surgery but as yet that hasn't happened so
1: that's good that's good. Now, when we did our initial chat and we talked to you um, about Ollie, you Mm -hmm. talked about your actual actual experience in the hospital on the day that he was born and how you were treated and spoken to Mm -hmm. by medical professionals. Can you um, elaborate a little bit on that for our listeners? Because I think that's what you went through was shocking. Yeah.
2: So... um... When you have a baby, um, obviously the doctor comes around to, to do his rounds and they do all the kind of checks on your baby, do the hip checks and you have to have, you know, your heel prick test and all that kind of jazz. So the doctor came around and he was doing all what he needed to do and um, he just kind of said, oh, you know, quite flippantly really, oh, you know, um, I think we need to um, t- to do some more tests because, like, you know, we think there might be something, you know, wrong. And we were like, and he, he went to kind of leave the room. Um, he was heading for the door, and we were like, "Hang on a minute! What? What, what do you mean? You know, what? What are you on about? What's What's wrong?" And you know, we had to really press him. You know, and the the my boy's dad really kind of pressed him, and he said, "Oh, um, you know, we think he's got Down syndrome." And it was just like, and he just went to leave again, and we were just like sat there, like thinking, "What? You know, what are you? What do you mean? You know, there was no kind of it." And I think that's. I think it is quite common in hospitals to be honest. They are very medical. And with that, everything is quite clinical, the way things are approached. Mm. Um but I do have to say that a lot of the nurses there were really, really good. You know, they were really comforting and reassuring. And, you know, when we when I first got told that information, my first thinking was it was just a feeling of guilt. It was feeling of like, well, I carried him. It must be something I I did. I, I, I've I done this to him somehow. And I had an absolutely amazing nurse, and she was. She was absolutely brilliant. And she explained to me that actually Down syndrome is something that can happen to anybody, and it is something that happens at conception. It doesn't happen partway through your, um, you know, your, um, what's the word? pregnancy yep. which is like, God, neck. Uh, 19 years later still got baby brain um, <laughs> yeah it's, you know it's not something that happens during pregnancy it happens instantly mm-hmm. you know as soon as that baby's conceived so you know once everything was explained to me I did you know it did take a little while for those kind of feelings to dissipate but they but they did quite quickly well once I kind of fully understood then I was like, right, okay, you know, and I think when you have that news and you kind of wrap your head around it, you very quick, because my love for Ollie and how I felt about him never changed. That, you know, that it didn't make any difference to me whatsoever. And then you just kind of realise that, okay, well, he might really struggle then to be like a lawyer or a vet. But he may be really creative and he may be, and you just find us, you just, you kind of just shift your thought pattern. Mm. And that's all you need to do. It's really yeah. a matter of going, right, okay, well, he might find that really hard. But to be honest, even if he didn't have Down syndrome, he might have found that really hard anyway.
0: Mm. Do you know what I yeah. mean?
2: So, but it is a matter of, it's you just move the
0: goalposts. That's what it is think your mindset and how you're looking at it is truly yeah. inspirational I think the way that you have managed that thinking and kind of looked at what could be real challenges and gone Do you know what well, I need to meet them by changing the way mm-hmm. that I approach it yeah. you know it's not it's not about changing the goalposts it's kind of right okay let's let's see how we get through it But with that in mind, did you have any expectations, preconceptions or about what it was going to be like to have a Down syndrome child?
2: If I'm honest, no. I'd had some connection with um, individuals with Down syndrome whilst I was at college when I was a lot younger. And um, I did performing arts when I was younger. And we had... um, a a term or a couple of terms can't quite remember it was a while ago um but we had a few terms when um we had some individuals with um learning difficulties come and we would support them in doing performing arts and there was quite a lot of individuals within that group that had down syndrome and that was really my only connection Mm. with that you know and when it came to my own child i i didn't really i you i just think you've just got to deal and go with what's in front of you and when they're a baby apart from medical things or you know tests and things like that put that aside they're just a baby so you know they're going to do all the things that other babies do and then eventually they're going to grow and learn. And yeah, it probably will take them longer to crawl and it'll probably take them longer to walk and it'll probably take them longer to do all those. But you just encourage and you do everything you can. And right at the beginning with Ollie, we literally had to teach him everything. He didn't have that initiative at all to want to crawl, to want to walk. And we physically had to, we used to lie him on his tummy and wrap a towel around him, almost like a hammock and then we we hoist him up onto his knees and his hands and then one of us would hold that hold him up in that position and then the other parent would move his hands and his feet hands and his knees so physically show him how to crawl that's a great idea and that we did that with everything. and then when he was walking we did the same thing so we'd put the towel or the sheet or whatever we had around yeah. underneath his armpits and then hold hold it up taught so that he could stand and then the other person would move his feet that's brilliant and, you know that's literally everything in the beginning with Ollie he had to be taught he even had to be taught how to bite oh he didn't God. understand how to bite so we had a, a really soft ball and we'd do it and then we'd give it to him and like help him to try and do it so he'd learn because he had massive feeding issues when he was a young child so that's why that was that was happening. Um, mm. Yeah, literally everything, he had to be physically taught how
0: to do. It almost sounds like everything you came across, you found a solution for, you didn't give up. And that's, you know, yeah. th- that's the crux of it. Because as parents, you don't want to give up. Yeah. Um, but I can see how a lot of people would just crumble and just go, I can't do this anymore. What have you found the biggest challenges are with having a Down syndrome child at whatever age that Ollie has been? I think
2: Ollie's biggest challenge, anyway, is his communication skills. That has always been the case and it still is. But he wants to communicate with people and he tries his best to converse with people wherever we are, whether we're in the supermarket, whether we're, you know, wherever we are, he will try and converse with people. And I'm almost sometimes like his interpreter because I understand very often what he's Mm. trying to say and to be honest most of the time you know people are really kind to him and really sweet and you know um that i think they appreciate that he's really he's really trying and he does and i think because he's such a likeable person
0: mm.
2: um people warm to him very quickly and i think that really helps him he's got a big personality and um you know he makes people laugh and you know he's a real you know He's a really comedic person. So that just wins people over. So it kind of counteracts the fact that he struggles with his speech. Mm. Um but yeah, I think that's the biggest the biggest challenge, I think, with Ollie.
1: I, I definitely want to come back to Ollie, because like I love I love hearing about him. He sounds great. Um but I don't want to leave out Alfie so um obviously an entirely different set of circumstances so go back to the start and tell us a little bit more about Alfie and when the diagnosis came through and how that felt
2: so um I had Alfie four years after Ollie so I was 29 and um again I was asked if I wanted the test doing and I said no even though I already had one child with Down syndrome we did however ask what the percentage was of possibly having another child with Down syndrome, and they said it was 1%. So we were like, well, there's no point having it then. The only thing we did check with Alfie was his heart, because we thought, well, if he does have Down syndrome, then I'd rather prepare myself for potentially another heart operation rather than anything else. So that we did that, and that was all fine. Um pregnancy with Alfie was completely normal he was very late he was 11 days late which was like horrific at the time um but everything you know I was induced with him I had him um everything seemed absolutely fine and then little things started happening that I was recognizing that didn't seem quite right to me um I remember the first thing that I recognised was that whenever I would put him in his high chair, you know, when he was really little, you know, I'd put him in his high chair when he was started weaning to try and give him food. He was really kind of like not happy about it. He would push himself as far back away from the food as he possibly could. You know, there was things like that going on, um, which I didn't quite understand. Um, and, you know, I mentioned it to a couple of people and I think they thought I was probably being a little bit maybe oversensitive about things because I'd already had a child with a with a learning difficulty. And, you know, I, I did acknowledge that, but I still had this inner feeling that I didn't feel that was right. And then when Alfie got to about one, I remember the first things that happened was that he stopped responding to his name. He stopped responding when you spoke. And that was really quite strange. And everyone around, Alfie's nickname was Smiler because he smiled all the time and he'd giggle and laugh at you. And, and all, that, all of that side of him just started to disappear. And um, I, was, I thought he'd gone deaf at one point. There is hearing impairment in my family. And I thought he'd gone deaf at one point because he just wasn't um, responding to anything that was being said to him. And I remember one day I slammed the kitchen cupboard to try and like see if it like did anything. He didn't react at all. And I was like, something's really weird here. I just don't know what's going on. So I contacted the health visitor, explained everything to her. And she said, well, I think we need to get his hearing checked. So I said, yeah, good idea, you know. So I went to um have his hearing checked. And then during that assessment, they called a doctor in. And I didn't know it at the time, but that was the doctor that was going to diagnose him with autism. So the doctor came in and he was sort of like observing what was happening and blah, blah. And around the I think Alfie at this point was probably about 14 months. And he asked me, he spoke to me after the appointment. He said, I'd really like you to come back the following day. So I said, okay. So I went back the next day and had an appointment with him. And we chatted and he was observing Alfie while we talked and blah, blah, blah. And he said to me, he said, I think we're, um, I think he's autistic. And I was just like, at first, I was like, right, okay, okay, fair enough, and then we left the meeting and then we had to, I. it was like something was in me was like, I knew that that was right. I can't explain how or why I felt like that. But I think because I had Ollie and because Ollie was very kind of like, he loved people and he was waving and clapping and pointing and Alfie wasn't doing any of those things. Um, it just sat right with me that that was what he was saying was true and roll on about six months later because I have to do like various things so they can diagnose the child they have to, they can, one person can't just diagnose a child it has to be kind of a team effort it has to be kind of agreed upon by this you know a team that that's right so I went back and um, I took Alfie and then he told me that yes he's autistic and Even though I knew it, it was absolutely heart-wrenching. I can't even really explain how devastating it felt. And I remember going home and the boy's dad, I had to then relay the information to him. And I remember being in the living room and there was like a water beaker that Alfie had left on the floor. Or Yeah, I think it was on the floor. He'd left it there. And then I remember looking at it and I remember thinking, that was Alfie's before this. And it felt like Alfie had died. It really felt like Alfie had died and I had this other child. And who is this child? Who are Who is he? Like, I'm going to have to, the child I thought I had, bearing in mind I already had a child with special needs, So having another child with special needs when he was supposed to be my quote, and I know people don't like this word, normal child, whatever normal means. But, you know, that was my thinking. And then all of a sudden it felt like that's not the case. So, again, you have to wrap your head around that and you grieve. You grieve for the child you thought you had. And that is a process and it's a long process and it's a process that, you know, I think even sometimes now will trip me up, even though I'm fully accepting of Alfie and who he is and, you know, everything, you know, that he encompasses, I'm fully accepting of him as an individual and I love him very, very much. But there's times when you kind of think back at that and it, it, you know, it was really, really, really hard. It was a really hard Mm. thing to go through.
1: I can't, can't even imagine what that was like, almost feeling like you came home with a different child. In terms of, you know, the way you said you responded when you were told Ollie had Down syndrome and you were like, OK, it is what it is, you know, and it's, you know, we we moved, we changed the goalposts and this might be this, this might be this. And it kind of felt like it was manageable. Being told you had a child with autism did you find that a lot harder to get your head around in terms of, right, what comes next? What does this mean? Because for uh, for people that don't know, can you tell us a little bit more about what auto- autism is?
2: Yeah. So autism is a neurological disorder. So in effect, their brain functions differently. So therefore that has a knock-on effect on their emotional state, their learning capability, um, everything they you know they can be quite uh resistant to things it has has a whole plethora of things that having you know a neurological disorder impacts and it impacts everything um but with asd asd autistic spectrum disorder there is a spectrum so for some people the impact is a lot less and right. they can manage and navigate things in in their world and in life a lot easier alfie has got severe asd so for him he finds most things in life very very challenging and with also with um asd you often get other traits so a lot of people have heard of traits with when in connection with autism and they call them comorbidity so For example, it's quite common for somebody with ASD to also have ADHD, also to have OCD, also have SPD, which is sensory processing disorder, to also have um, PDA, which is pathological demand avoidance. Alfie has all of those things, we believe. However, Mm -hmm. because his autism is so severe, it's very hard to kind of pick out those individual traits and say, yes, he's got that. It's almost like baking a cake and you're putting all the ingredients in and then trying to pick out the grains of sugar. It's very, very difficult to do that. Um, And with that, that also has other issues because then trying to get the right treatment and support programs for things when you haven't got official diagnosis for certain things, that's a whole other situation and a whole other issue with um, the way things work. But fundamentally, that's what autism is. It's a a plethora of things, but it is a neurological disorder.
0: So what, I mean, that's that's a lot. It's a, yeah, it's a lot. Sorry, I interrupted you then. I was just going to say, whereas um, Down syndrome is a chromosomal disorder. Could you tell us a bit more about that, what um, people with Down syndrome um, have, what they experience? Yeah.
2: So first of all, there's actually three types of Down syndrome, which not many people are that aware of. Um, there's translocation Down syndrome, there's mosaic Down syndrome, and then there's trisomy 21. Trisomy 21 is mo- the most common. Uh, about 95% of people with Down syndrome will have trisomy 21, um, and in effect, it 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 means that the when when you when you have a baby, you get um, you eat, you get chromosomes from your mom, chromosomes from your dad, so you get pairs of chromosomes, and you get 46 altogether. With people with trisomy twenty one, they have three of the twenty one chromosome, hence the name trisomy twenty one.
0: Right. Wow. So what
2: that means is every single cell in their body, so every single cell that makes up their eyes, eyes that makes up their skin, that makes up their heart, liver, but every single cell has that additional chromosome. Right. So that means that you know when you've got somebody with Down syndrome, they obviously have genes from their mum, they have the genetics from their dad, but they have this additional chromosome, which is why people with Down syndrome all look different, but they have the similarity in traits that other people will recognise. So, for example, eye shape. Very often they have like an almond-shaped eye. The ears are very often lower set. There's a flatter back of the head. Um... They very often have a higher hairline, and their hair can be finer. Their eyelashes can be finer. Um, other things aren't so noticeable. There's um on the palm of their hand, the uh the there's a line that goes straight across the palm of the hand instead of a, a slant. Um, mm. very often their toes, their big toe is slightly uh, there's a bigger gap between their big toe and their other toes. So there's there's various things that happen, but fundamentally with um, with Down syndrome it's a learning difficulty so Down syndrome is the name of the of the, of the condition of the you know of the disability but a learning difficulty is really is the most prominent um, thing to come from it and um, that varies from person to person so for some people like Ollie you know he he's not a- academic at all he really struggles with reading and writing and things like that um, and like I said earlier, he, sh- he struggles with communicating, although he can talk, he just struggles to make himself clear. Um, but for other people with Down syndrome, they can talk really well, you know, um, you look at the amazing George that's on CBBS. I don't know if you yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's amazing. You know, his speech is fantastic, you know, so there is, a, there is a, you know, a spectrum within that as well. Yeah. Um. And everybody's completely,
0: completely different. So obviously let's let's take um as we're talking about Ollie, let's let's talk about Ollie and what it means for you as a mum. What what does it look like day to day being a mum to Ollie and what you have to do and how you handle it as well? I mean,
2: Ollie's out out of the two of them,
0: Ollie's the easier child. <laughs>
2: Um, and you know but he still needs a lot of support so he needs a lot of help to do and a lot of reminding how to do things you know Um, another thing with Down syndrome is that they can have quite um, poor short-term memory so um, remembering to do certain things or doing them in the right order to make it easier can be forgotten quite easily so you know there's I find myself repeating myself to him most days about the same things over and over and over again but you've got to remember while so he is a teenager so there's that element to it going <laughs> as well yeah. um, you always got to factor in the teenager um with these things um but yeah so um so for example in the morning um if Ollie's not awake already I would go and wake him up and then I would get his clothes ready if I didn't get his clothes ready for him he would literally pick out anything and put it on he 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 wouldn't care really, you know, it could be too small or inside out and, you know, labels hanging out everywhere. You know, he, he wouldn't, he, he's just got it on as far as he's concerned. So I lay all his clothes out in the right, in an order that will work for him all the way right, right around and everything. And then, but he can dress himself. So he'll do all that side of things. Sometimes he'll still put things on inside out. I don't know how he manages it, but he does. <laughs> so we normally have, we do have to rectify those things. Um, but you know, and he will need, he needs help to kind of make food. He can do bits with support, um, but even that he'll forget where like our plates are, even though they've been in the same place they've always been, but he'll forget. Um, but there's lots of things he, he can do. He just needs the support to be able to do it. And he loves helping. He's great at helping. He just needs that little bit of support. So if I say to him, Oh, can you just, you know, can you just hoover the floor for me? He will do it. He just needs that little bit of help to get himself started. And then once he's done that, he's, he's off and he can do it. doesn't always do it great, granted. <laughs> yeah, he's a teenager, these things happen. <laughs> Um, that's quite normal for a teenager isn't it (laughs) so yeah those sort of things you know he can do it he just needs support to do it Mm. so that's obviously time consuming you know Um, it's not a matter in this house that I can just leave them to kind of their own devices and say right you know you'll go make yourself a drink I mean he can he'll pour himself a cup of milk or something but that's really as far as that goes he hasn't got the um He hasn't kind of got the dexterity very well to open things. He's got quite poor, fine motor skills. So he can't do buttons and zips and he can't do his shoelaces up. And so all those things still, even though we practice it and we try, you know, we, we plod on and we keep pushing for him to be able to do those things far more independently. But he does struggle. And I think there is a, you know, you've got to have, aspirations, even no matter how small it is, you know, you can have an aspiration of like, right, I'm going to teach him to be able to do a full zip up, he can pull it up the zip, but he can't put the you know, the bottom bit in fast -hmm. enough, he can't do that but if that's your goal, you know you've got to keep pushing for it and if he he starts doing it, that's a win
0: that's a
2: massive win, that's one more step of being a bit more independent and I think that's what my life is really it's all about the small wins no matter how you know trivial they may seem to other people they're not to me they're
1: huge so tell us about tell us about Alfie then tell us about how um they differ as children and how I say children I mean they're both (laughs) grown-ups now but um you know what does it look like on a day-to-day basis for Alfie
2: so Alfie is probably um he needs he needs a lot more support than Ollie does, although in lots of ways he's more capable um than Ollie, which is a bizarre thing so alfie Alfie can dress himself and do all those things the same as Ollie, um but he still needs support to do it and with a child like Alfie, he's got no concept of time. got no concept of urgency he's got no like it just doesn't fall into his radar so if we have to get up and get out the house then very often we will have to physically dress him because otherwise we were like just get yourself dressed it's never going to happen you know um that that sort of thing just doesn't happen personal care you know um i have to bath him still i do you know let him wash certain areas because he's old enough and I'm not doing it but you know he needs reminding that what he needs to do, so does Ollie actually, mm-hmm. you know I have to you know say like you need to wash your armpits now you know and I have to, you have to literally be there for every single step of it to make sure that it is done and that they're doing it well enough because you know these things have to be done mm-hmm. um, but yeah I mean there's there's lots of differences between Ollie and Alfie and a lot of the things with Alfie is that he is more capable but he just doesn't see the point there's no need for Alfie and Alfie is very need based so right. if he doesn't see the need of doing something he's not going to do it right. so even with his language skills you know his class is non-verbal because even though he has got some level of speech but he's class is non-verbal because he can't actually fully communicate like we are he'll say yeah. like he needs a drink he needs to go to the toilet he needs you know he'll go biscuit if he wants a biscuit that's literally it for Alfie there's mm. no communication in that sense it's literally one word kind of like saying what his need is it's all about his need and if he doesn't see the point in something or he has no need for it mm. it's irrelevant to his life completely irrelevant mm.
1: It sounds like your parenting experience is completely unique um, in terms of basically having to parent two children two in two completely different ways. We've talked a lot about the boys, but how does it impact you and your mental health and, you know, having to, I mean, they're your children, so you do it, but caring 24 hours a day, for your children how how does it feel and how does it you know impact your mental health
2: well you know I'd be lying if I say it didn't you know and I think anybody who's in a similar position to me will understand that it has and everything in life has an impact you know and this is no different Mm -hmm. and it definitely you know I live in a house with an individual who has who is very unpredictable in their behavior, how Alfie can be highly aggressive. He bites, he kicks, he pinches. He's also six foot tall and weighs over 13 stone. So when he is upset, he makes it very known and he will hurt. So, you know, there's techniques and there's things that I do to try and minimize those things happening and help him stay regulated, which is highly important with people with autism Um, because anxiety and anxiety related traits are high up there on why certain things or why they react in certain ways so because of that I live in that kind of environment where you have to be on high alert you have to be listening for what's going on even if Alfie's not in the same room he's in, in, in his bedroom for example and you're downstairs making the tea whatever you always have to have one ear out on what's happening listening to his sounds, listening to what, what kind of noises he's making. Are they sound sound happy? Are they annoyed noises? And if they are noises that sound like he's getting aggravated, you have to intervene immediately. So it doesn't matter what you're doing. You have to stop what you're doing and you have to go to him and help him regulate. Because if you don't, that will escalate most likely and then a massive meltdown will ensue and then most likely you're going to get the brunt of that. So you have to kind of all the time be on that kind of high alert state and situation Mm -hmm. that leads to you having high levels of anxiety. So I never used to have anxiety or anything like that. And as the years have gone on, my anxiety has got worse and worse and worse. You know, and sometimes I really have to talk myself, you know, ends so, up so it's fine like you're just feeling this way it's fine you'll be fine I did it before coming on here doing that yeah you know I can speak I'm quite good at talking it's kind of like you know what I do really however you still have that you know that internal angst yeah you know um and I think that's the biggest thing for me and the relentlessness you know being a parent's a thankless task anyway we all know that Mm, you know mm. but it is it's the relentlessness and having children that should be at the stage when they're off out in the world Mm. maybe working maybe at uni or college and with their friends and this is the point where most people would start having a life again and having that independence And maybe as an individual your children are old enough so you can pick up more hours at work and start earning that extra money maybe because you've you know all those kind of things they're not ha- they're not possible mm-hmm. and it's kind of that endless endless cycle of you know it's no different for me now than it was when they were toddlers mm-hmm. and that's a long time for it to yeah. be you know yeah, yeah. On that way
0: I was going to ask this a little later um but because you're talking about you know, what life is like now and, you know, what what should have happened or not should, what could have happened. What do you see the future being for you, Alfie and Ollie?
2: I think that's a hard one in some ways because a lot of it isn't... A lot of it isn't down to just what I want for them. A lot of it will be down to what the system and the local authority will allow to happen for them and that's a whole different kettle of fish altogether um i think in an ideal world i want both of my children to be in places where they are happy and settled and comfortable and you have to be very realistic And I'm a firm believer in, I can love my kids as much as I I, I do. And I I wanna wrap them up and keep them away from the world and keep them safe and all that. One day I'm not gonna be here anymore. And they are. And you have to be pragmatic. You have to look at what is best for them, not what you want. Hmm. And what is gonna be best for Ollie When he's quite a bit older, I think, to be honest, is that I would like him to possibly go and live in a supported living community, because he would definitely need that support still. And live with like minded people, other people with learning difficulties, you know, so they can have a lovely life, camaraderie, you know, have the right people to support them. And then that way, Ollie can maybe have a little job, contribute, contribute, and just live a lo- live a lovely life. You know, he's very capable of having relationships with people and friendships, and he deserves that, like everybody else does. Yeah. Um, Alfie's a bit of a different story. Um, Alfie's going to need a high level of support, and that's probably going to come for Alfie far sooner than it will for Ollie. And that's because of the practicalities of looking after 24 hours a day, seven days a week, an individual that requires such a high level of support when you've only got two adults in a household and one of them goes to work full time. You know, there'll come a point where Alfie really needs a core team around him that can support him 24 hours a day, seven days a week, which in turn will allow him to access things, go and do things, be in the community, you know, have a life because he'll have the right level of support to accommodate that. Hmm. Um, And really, that's what I want for them. I want them both to have enough freedoms in life to have a nice life, but have the right levels of support to be able to allow them to do that.
1: Do you ever find that people are judgmental about your situation or your boys, or that you ever get any sort of ignorant questions or responses when you're out and about and you know you find people judging you? It, mm. Does that does that happen frequently or is it not so much?
2: Um the only real thing that happens um reasonably often is two things really a lot of people if I'm out with Ollie they'll smile at him which is nice but obviously you can physically see with Ollie most people recognize the features of Down syndrome so that's you know that's why they're smiling and it's usually because he's laughing and joking when we walk down the street you know. With Alfie, it's a little bit different because unless he does something specific, you can't tell that he's got ASD. You know, he's just a a big lad walking down the street. But the difference is he's usually got a walking harness on for safety because everything about Alfie is keeping him safe, keeping other people safe. So he usually has a walking harness on. He's usually got his phone in his hand and he's usually got a really old pink hoodie of mine he's a common he-, he commandeered about seven years ago that he takes everywhere with him and it's hideous and i have to prize it <laughs> off him to wash it um oh honestly it's gross it is it's gross <laughs> um, but you know so those are differences and you know if you see somebody who's man size and they're walking with the whole walking harness on and those things that i mentioned it is different so people do look and i don't i'm i have no problem with people looking i have a problem. People staring because they're two different things. Have mm. a look, look away, fine. I've got a problem with that, but some people will really stare, and then that irritate. I mean, I don't say anything, um, but that really does annoy me because I just think I get, I get it. I get why has he got that on? Look away. You don't need to keep staring. It's that's rude in itself, you know. Okay. Um, I think they're the main things really, and you know occasionally to be fair you know Alfie because he will make some very you know strange noises strange to others anyway not so strange to me but strange noises to other people and he might startle somebody or you know he might make Mm. a you know quite a high pitched shriek or something and it'll make somebody jump those things I completely understand and I'm like oh you know sorry sorry you know and I will say sorry he's autistic he didn't mean it you know he's not you know it's just a noise so I'm very kind of like you know it is what it is. I must be all over though, to be honest. It is what it is about it. Um, but yeah, I don't think that there's not many people that actually say anything. And I have would have absolutely no problem actually if somebody wanted to ask. If I was, you know, a stranger came up to me and oh, excuse me. You know, just wondering why he was wearing that harness. I'd have absolutely no problem with that. Most people wouldn't do that because I think they would be worried that you know you, they're going to upset you or cross a line. Or... I wouldn't have a problem with it, but you know, I ha- don't really have anyone. Haven't really had anyone say anything.
0: Really mm. horrible, which is a good thing. Yeah, yeah you don't need
2: I'm that on really top. it wo- 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 if they did.
0: Huh? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah you talked about how relentless it is and Mm. just sound just listening to you talk I can't imagine the levels of exhaustion that you hit Mm. at times Mm. um, and how your anxiety is built have you accessed or found any um, support for you as a mum of kids with special needs that's out there that's made a difference to you have you kind of made friends with other mums in similar situations what have you found that's been really helpful for you? Um,
2: to be honest, most of the things that I can think about, I I haven't really found that much. And again, I think some of the things that are available, they're kind of some groups that are available. They're only on like, they're only like term time only. And Things mm. like that. And it's like, you know, you can bring your kid with you and it's like, well, they're at school. Like, you know, mm. there's things like that that, you know, I've seen quite a lot when I've looked into it. So there isn't masses of, there isn't masses amounts of support mm. for parents. There's, you know, there is support obviously for your children to a point, mm. um, but there isn't masses of support for the parents, Um which is shameless plug here, but that's why I created my page
0: on Facebook. <laughs> oh no, plug away, plug, plug away. Us, tell us what's it called. Yeah, you, tell us. It, tell us. It's
2: called um, Special Needs and the Life We Lead, and it's a really no holes bars, you know, honest, you know, everything about my life with the boys and everything that goes on, um, every hurdle we have to cross and you know, behaviours we have to contend with and, and things we do to help with those behaviours. And, you know, and that grief, I can honestly say, it's as much as a support for me as it is for the people that follow me. You know, there's some lovely people on there. And then they, they, message, they message me if they haven't heard a from a while because I'm not on there all the time. Mm. I go on there when I feel like there's something I can say. Um, and, you know, they they'll, if they haven't heard from me, they'll message me and say, you know, are you all right? haven't seen it seen on you here, on here for a while. Hope you're okay. How are the boys? It's lovely, that's nice. Really lovely. Yeah. I am lucky going as well. That I have got a really good friend of mine here whose um daughter's got additional needs. Um, and her mum's also got to mention her mum lives with her, and so they, we've got this kind of connection as well because mm. we have very like, um, minded you know lives. and you know we understand things without having to explain it all the time to people yeah you know that's and it's great you know and we get on like a house on fire so
0: oh, we'll, we'll definitely put the link to your um page on yeah. the oh. episode bio and on our website as well Thank yeah you.
1: it's it's great to hear that you have found some like-minded people that you can mm. i suppose just talk it out with people who, who get it, you know, and vent your frustrations to people free of judgment. I think that's that's great that you've got that. Yeah.
2: And these I, people understand the system that we're in. They understand all the hurdles and, the, you know, people are frustrated at the moment with everything because, you know, they're struggling to get a GP appointment and I get it. Hmm. But when you've got parents like me with children like mine, you know, we're struggling to get every appointment you can possibly imagine you know, some of the wait lists for certain things—they're like three years long now. Wow. You know, when you've got a parent who's in dire need of that support from that professional, yeah. and they've got to wait three years to get an appointment, it's honestly—I could go on about this sort of stuff all day. because okay? I won't. Don't worry. But it, <laughs> it, it absolutely—it's diabolical how it is at the minute. It's absolutely diabolical.
1: And I do feel like we've only just scratched the surface with this. Mm. I feel like we could keep talking and keep yeah. talking. But because we do only have a set amount of time, I want to, we always give all of our listeners an opportunity to leave our listeners with, did I just say listeners twice there?
0: You did, okay. but it's fine. You got, you're you on a roll. Keep going, keep we going. Give, we give all
1: our guests the opportunity to tell our listeners something that they want to leave with them. So um, if you want to talk about the boys, if you want to, there's something that you wish people would know more about if you want to talk about something that's completely unrelated you crack on this is your opportunity and we're giving you the floor for the final set
2: Mm. right I think it's going to be in relation to like what we've been (laughs) talking about I think that's you know important to do I think one thing for people to remember is that when you're a special needs parent you are also your own person and life with special needs children can be extremely isolating And I've kind of, lots of my friendships have dwindled off over the years. And it's not through anything huge or dramatic. It's usually because people will ask you to do things and ask you to do things. And you can't because you haven't got the childcare. You haven't got, you know, your children need you more than you're needed wherever they're asking you to go. And it isn't a matter of you're just saying no because you don't want to. You can't. And, you know, but I always appreciate the people that continue to ask me because there might be a, an occasion where I can go, yeah, I like, actually, I can do that. Great. Brilliant. Thanks for asking. But if they hadn't have asked, you wouldn't be able to do it or, you know, you wouldn't know about it. So I think for people that have other people in their life that are in a very similar situation to me, you know, always ask those people, even if it's no. And if it's no, please don't take it personally because it isn't about you. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like they're probably wishing they could attend and wishing they could go. Um and that's just another thing they've had to say no to. Mm-hmm. You know, so please keep asking, you know, drop them a text now and again, how are you doing? How's it how are you going? Haven't heard from you in a while whatever it is just remember they exist
0: that's so that's powerful yeah, that's really. so powerful and an understanding their situation yeah. you know remember yeah. they exist and just you know and actually
2: even if you don't fully understand it that's okay just, just accept you know it. Yeah. just accept it just yeah. accept that this is ha- what the situation they're in you don't need to know the ins and outs mm. the upside downs just respect that this is they obviously find this very difficult and you care enough to accept that and you care enough to go that's fine maybe next time mm.
0: yeah you know? oh sarah thank you so much that i think that would i mean that touched me but yeah. that, that's going to touch a lot of people out yeah. there and i know this episode is going to be well received and and help others in yeah. similar situations sure. to oh, yourself thanks. so thank you for being just such a wonderful voice on this topic yeah. oh, oh you're welcome um, i'm just no, speaking my truth. <laughs> oh, it's it's been a pleasure. We we love authenticity and truth on on strong tea, and you brought it in abundance. So thank you so much. Thank you, thank you, ladies, and mm-hmm. listeners. If you've enjoyed what you've heard, or oh, you can get involved, you can go to <laughs> you. You, you can go to our supporters page. You can buy us a brew. You can buy us a coffee. You can buy us a prosecco. You can buy us whatever you like or a box um, of biscuits just, box of biscuits, to a biscuits? biscuits. Yeah. we will do a dunkability test live oh. if that's what you want oh. we will do that for you not with pg um, tips though but not pg tips sorry sarah <laughs> um <laughs> but if you would like to support
2: it i it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> we'll make it up to you mate we'll send you some some brews through the post <laughs> if you would like to join us we are also looking for guests um, always on the hunt for guests for unique topics, things that you want to share, things that you feel we need to learn more about. Send names, send details, or topics you want to hear more about. We're all about the learning experience and wanting to help you and ourselves learn more about these things. So that's it from us. It's uh, goodbye. From... <laughs> I'm going to Ronnie's again. It's goodbye from me. <laughs> bye, bye from me. <laughs> <laughs> thanks everyone, um, thanks for everyone for listening and we'll see you again next time. Bye. Bye.